Thank you, Jesus, that you provide all things for us, including victory in the midst of trials and troubles. God, we rely on you and we celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Thank you to the worship team, always leading us uh, every week so beautifully into the presence of God with excellence and uh, enjoy. We're so appreciative of that. So each week during this series, as we've been looking at Psalm 23, we've been reading through and trying to memorize the whole 23rd Psalm. And uh, we've just been doing that a, a verse at a time. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to do, do the same thing. We're going to start from verse 1 and work our way through verse 5, which we'll be speaking on. I get a chance to speak on today. So read it if you want. It's in your program. It'll be up on the slides. But if you want to kind of see if you can bring it to memory, you can kind of maybe only peek as you're needed as we go through it. So we're just going to do Psalm 23, most of the verses, uh, starting with verse 1 right through verse 5. So let's try that together. Okay, here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You guys are doing great. I will fear no evil with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Excellent job, you guys. Well, I don't know about you. We've been looking at this, this the Lord is my shepherd, this psalm in a beautiful way. And uh, through this series, sheep are starting to grow on me a little bit. Uh, you know, yeah, I know, very unintelligent animals, totally dependent on the shepherd. We've talked about that, but they can be, um, be kind of cute, too. So I wanted to start with a couple of sheep pictures to kind of warm us up today. This first one is, they are, see... These are considered, I, I, I did a lot of research online this week, <laughs> valet black-nosed sheep. And it looks like a stuffed animal, doesn't it? That's what they look like, and uh, just amazing. So they're out of uh, Switzerland, just kind of a stuffed animal. This second one here, uh, let's take a look at that. And, and, and patient mom going, okay, kids, get it out of your systems here, and working through that. So beautiful. And then this third one, I love this. <laughs> See... The dog's like, I can be a great watchdog up here, plus be in style and comfort on this nice, comfy sofa. And the sheep, I'm not even sure as to where the dog is there. You know, I'm like, you know, just kind of doing its thing there. And the dog, I, you know, I love that. So, so, so some great views and some great things. And, and, uh, and, and we get to kind of continue in this, in this Psalm 23 thing, understanding that's really our perspective as God is our shepherd. So there are three ideas uh, from Psalm 23, verse 5, that we'll be looking at today. And we, we read that pa uh, Pastor Ron had a chance to read the verse, and then we just read through it ourselves. So I just want to kind of set them out first here. First of all, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And we're going to look at that. What does that mean culturally, historically, spiritually, physically, all of those things? What does that really mean to me? And it says, you anoint my head with oil. And, and, and we'd ask the question, what exactly does that mean? We're going to look like that. Because if that's anything like changing your oil under the car and it accidentally splashes on your head, I've had that of you. You know, you're kind of underneath there, wrenching a little bit, and you get some, it's not a pretty sight. So hopefully it means something more than that. And then third, my cup overflows. And again, I have to pause because being the dad of five children, this isn't a pretty picture. 
You know what I mean? One of the kids is pouring milk and gets distracted, and it just overflows and goes everywhere. And I've had that at home as well. And again, it's messy and not pretty. This is meant to be a positive thing, and we're going to dig into that and what that means as well. Well, we're going to unpack these three ideas. You can follow along in your outline. The verses are printed for you as well. Not a lot of fill in the blanks today. That's on purpose. I want you to kind of think, and, and I want you to kind of breathe and, and take in what's there, and then what God speaks to you, If any, whether it's some little research points or something that God says, do you have a chance to write that down? We're going to look at it in several different ways. We're going to look at it in two ways, really specifically, in that that's both the shepherd and sheep imagery that's there, that's, that's been happening in Psalm 23, but also this verse introduces the idea of a, of a gracious host and a, and a special guest imagery as well. And so bo- both work with these verses really here. And so I want to take a, some time to look at both of them so we can get the full impact of what they mean with, with each of the pictures. So there's really just those three points listed in your outline, sheep and shepherd, and we'll talk about that. And then with the host and honored guest, and we'll talk about that. And then one kind of little make sure we didn't miss anything moment. Um, and uh, so we'll go through that. I also want to introduce the idea, uh, this living above shame is the title of, the, of this talk in this series. And I want to introduce the idea of shame as we get started, because I really would love to allow shame to be a primary application concept to what we see, what God, uh, to, to what God does and what he says in this verse. And, and so, you know, shame may be something that's not a big issue to you, but the reality is for most of us, it is a big issue and maybe it's a huge issue. And I guess I'd ask, don't answer, but inside, where are you at personally today when you think about the idea of shame? You know, the oppressive nature of shame, it's always been a huge issue, but, but it's sensed in such a real, in such a destructive way today, it's a killer. And, and, and God is dealing with more enemies than just shame in our lives, certainly in this passage, but the internal sense of shame is one of the biggest enemies that we all can face, and, and I want us to be aware of that today. Well, as we get started then, we talked about the three ideas. We're going to first look at the shepherd and the sheep analogy, and we've been there again in the first bunch of verses, the Lord is my shepherd, and we've talked about that. Uh, we've seen God in that way, and, and so I, I do think that the writer, King David, he probably begins this switch into this um, host and uh, and uh, guest analogy here, but there's certainly some experts that claim that the shepherd and sheep is still uh, fitting as an analogy. So we want to dig there a little bit. So first, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, when we read the word table, because that's kind of a funny picture. Here's a little sheep coming up to a table and trying to eat off a plate or something like that. But really, the, the word table here can be seen as the highlands. Highlands, kind of the flat, kind of a plateau that's up, up higher in some elevation. That's a pasture where the sheep and where the shepherd intends to keep his sheep for an extended period of time, usually during the summer. So maybe the sheep are down here as it starts to get hotter and stuff. He's going to lead them up to kind of a flat plateau, an area where the sheep will spend some extended time. It kind of would be considered like a, a table in a sense there. And during the summer season, and because he cares about his sheep, he's not just kind of doing a job, but he really has concern and care. The shepherd prepares, he prepares diligently. Now preparing that table for the pasture land for his sheep uh, preparing really means checking the land for is there enough wild grass there? Is there enough food for the sheep to make it for a, a specific period of time? If not, I'm going to look for a different place. He's going to prepare the table. He's going to check. He, he's going to check for a clean and ample water source. It might mean carrying in some salt and needed minerals that the sheep would need to eat to supplement their diet for their health. And so he would do that. Um, preparing the table, the flat open feeding and resting area is important as the sheep 
does the sheep really matter to the shepherd? It's not like I just going to hope this works, but he really wants to take care of his sheep well. Now, preparing that table in the presence of my enemies, it says, for the diligent shepherd, that means understanding that there's many things that can cause problems for the sheep. It means going to this table land, this flat land ahead of time, and finding out are there any poisonous weeds and poisonous plants there that the sheep could eat and die. And, if, and so preparing, it means he's going to go there and he's going to eradicate that land. He's going to pull and he's going to get rid of anything that could be harmful to the sheep in the way of, of their food. And so that's important. He's also going to look and prepare for, look around for other potential dangers like snakes that can be poisonous that can come out of the ground. So he's looking for snake holes. To, uh, snake holes. He wants to get rid of the snakes. And actually there are some oils and some nasty for, for snakes. They think it's nasty oils that you can actually put into the holes that will kind of drive the snakes away. And he's going to do that before he brings a sheep because he loves his sheep and he wants to take care of them. He's preparing the table, the flatlands for the sheep in the presence of the enemies to make sure that he's on top of things. He, he wants to keep the snakes away. He's also going to look for potential predators by scouting the land around the flat area. What's going on? Are there rocks around? Are there obvious hiding places for mountain lions or other predators? I want to find that out, says the shepherd, because I want to care for my sheep. Well, that's what the shepherd really will do for the sheep, and that's what the shepherd, obviously in Psalm 23, he's talking about God here. That's what he does for us. Because he loves us, he, he takes time to look out and look out for us, to look after our safety and our comfort, not, not because we would des- deserve it, uh, we're dumb sheep, <laughs> but because he loves us, just plain and simple. Well, the passage goes on to say that then the second concept, you anoint my head with oil. And, and if we think about it from a sheep perspective, sheep have it tough in the summer. My, I know some of you are livestock experts. For me, I had to research everything because I just don't have much experience with sheep or livestock. But it said that summertime is fly time when it comes to livestock. That's a quote right there. The flies start bothering the sheep more when it heats up. And evidently, those flies include, and I researched this, folks, Warble flies, bot flies, uh, uh, head flies, nasal flies, deer flies, black flies, shoe flies, pop flies. Pop flies. <laughs> Made that one up. Pop flies. Here a fly, there a fly, everywhere a fly fly. Okay, so flies, all different kinds all over the place. Now, sheep are especially bothered by nose, or they're called nasal flies, and it's kind of gross, but, uh, but the, the flies buzz around the sheep's head and try to lay their eggs in the wet membrane of the sheep's nose. That's why it's called a nose or nasal fly. Now, I actually found a nice picture of this here. There are really a lot of gross pictures on, online for this, and I thought, I'm not going to gross you out and go, I wish I hadn't come to church. So you can see here, here's a sheep going, sheep, and, and, but you can just kind of see what's starting to go around, and these flies are looking to say, I want to go inside that nose and, lie, and, and find a place to lay my eggs where they'll be safe. And, of course, the sheep doesn't much like it, and maybe not much they can do about it. Now, this gets a little bit gross, but I want to walk through what happens here is that if they successfully lay their eggs in the wet membranes, when the little larvae hatch, they actually then crawl up into the sheep's head to find a place for it to grow. And, and of course, that bothers the sheep incredibly. It causes massive irritation. It causes massive inflammation. And, and uh, it bothers the sheep so much that they can start slamming their heads into rocks, into trees, or scraping the ground or brush just to try to get rid of this sensation of pain and irritation. And uh, it's a horrible thing. It drives them to distraction at best, near insanity at worst. And, and some sheep may even end up killing themselves trying to deal with the flies and the larvae that's there. It bothers them that much. Now, the oil then that this passage talks about, when put on their heads and the noses by the shepherd that gets bathed in that, keeps the flies at bay. And it's a true lifesaver for the sheep. 
then, a true lifesaver. The oil is protection. It's, it li- it's like God's presence keeping the small but potentially devastating things in our lives away from us. His anointing can save our sanity, can give us peace, and can keep the pests from overwhelming us. And it's crazy that something so tiny and so small that's like, that's just a fly or two or 20 can become even such a, such a horrible thing for the sheep. I kind of think that's true in my own life. Some of those little things that just kind of add up and become overwhelming to us. And God wants to save us from that. Now, the oil is also used to protect. <laughs> it's used on the heads, heads of sheep, specifically the male sheep, to protect the male sheep, the rams, from themselves. So rutting season approaches, and the male sheep start looking to prove their superiority over the other you know, male sheep by, and this is classic male behavior, slamming their horns and heads into each other as hard as they can. Head to head, right? This is classic male behavior. It's brilliant. Kind of reminds us a little of today's NFL, if you think about it. <laughs> you know, dumb sheep. Go Rams, right? LA Rams. The Rams hit each other so hard that they can knock each other silly and even cause devastating injury. You know, you've seen that on National Geographic, the slam and that they do because they're proven how big and buff they are and worthy of, of the females in the area. And it can be devastating to them, and that doesn't make the shepherd real happy, <laughs> needless to say. So, so sometimes, to make the impact less, what the shepherd will do is apply oil, a lot of oil to the horns, in an attempt to say, when contact is made, maybe they'll kind of, and it actually works some, to slide off each other and lessen that head-on impact of two very dry, hard surfaces. So it'll anoint their heads with a lot, a lot of oil to make things slippery, to decrease the impact, and it, and it serves to protect the male sheep from themselves. And it, it's a hmm moment for me as I was working through this. It, it, I, I wonder, does it make sense to anyone else that God does that for us sometimes? You know, he takes steps to save us from ourselves as we end up hurting ourselves and hurting each other through our natural actions and even our natural words. It's like, yeah, we're, we're kind of dumb male sheep sometimes, aren't we? Even you women, if, if we're honest, in terms of some of the things we do that hurt each other needlessly, that make sense to us, that hurt ourselves. Third, the oil can be used on sheep just very quickly to heal wounds and scratches and hurts. You know, that's just can be there. It can be a healing substance as a, as, a, as a sheep has scratched itself, especially in the face. So this anointing oil here, it protects, it soothes, it heals. And God, and God does all of that as our faithful shepherd to us. He gives us the Holy Spirit to do that work for us and in us. Well, this third phrase, it says, after he anoints my head with oil, and then it says, my cup overflows. And for this shepherd and sheep analogy, really this phrase is a pause. After all the verses that come before this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. You know, all the things that he does. And, and right up through the anointing my head with oil, there's this pause. And we see this overwhelming, constant, gracious love and care of the shepherd. And it's really an acknowledgement that, that uh, it's all so much. It's beautiful. It's so much. The blessings upon blessings upon blessings that the shepherd showers on his sheep, it's amazing. And one could truly say, gosh, as I look at that, my cup overflows. It's, it's an amazing thing. Well, I want to move to the second analogy now, the analogy of the gracious host and the honored guest. We had a chance to look at this in the context of sheep and shepherd, but let's look at that from a, from a, from a gracious host and honored guest. And again, it c- continues in your outline. So let's back up, and it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. From this perspective, in this picture, the Lord is the great host at a banquet prepared for his children. It's huge, and it's sumptuous, and it's wonderful. He prepares a feast, not just for them, but for me. 
and he prepares a feast for you. Uh, the host prepares an amazing table just loaded with amazing food and drink. This is going to be one serious Thanksgiving feast because the host is going to prepare his best, and the host is God. Now, the, the fact that God does this in the presence of my enemies, this shows us, first of all, that God provides, he provides safety and peace even in the midst of what seems like, like overwhelming trouble and persecution in your life. Because the reality is sometimes that's there. And God says, I know that's there, but let me do this for you. He doesn't accuse us like our enemies do. He, he vindicates us. He doesn't turn, he doesn't pretend it's not there, but he simply says, I'm going to take care of things. I accept you, I forgive you, I release you from the bondage of your enemies, and you can sit down, relax, and eat with me. It's not just I'm going to prepare the kiddies table for you over there, good luck. It's right here. You, you get to be served and prepared the, the, the feast by me and then eat with me. It's the feast with the host, the smiling, gracious, loving God. And several other thoughts here. In the presence of my enemies, that is, in spite of them, in spite of the enemies, they can't prevent this, right? Sometimes our enemies seem overwhelming. God says, wait a second. They aren't going to prevent me from setting the table before me, and they cannot prevent you from dining with me if you're willing. They can't do that. It's clear that this blessing is from God. It's proof of divine favor in the midst of the chaos in your life. It gives an assurance that God will never leave us in a place of want. God will never leave us in that place of want. The friends of God, in a sense, that's us, are made to triumph in the very presence of their foes. It's right there. And our enemies are compelled because they're there. They're compelled to see how God moves on our behalf, how he provides for us and how he defends us. God demonstrates costly love to me no matter who is watching. No matter who is watching. And, and people who are hostile, hostile to me, they'll see what God's doing, and they may extend their hostility to God as well. I hate you. If God's going to be on your side, then I hate God. They may do that, but God doesn't care. He offers that love anyway. God isn't going to go, oh, you know what? I don't want to make anybody mad. I want to be politically correct here, so I'm going to withhold some blessing. He's not. He says, you know what? You deserve it because I love you. Here's the blessing. Here's the feast. In the presence of your enemies. And one last thought on the enemies, and this one isn't pretty or isn't fun. We have enemies. We do and we will have enemies. It's, it's implied here. See, here's the truth. God doesn't always remove our enemies. That's not what this verse says, and that's not what Scripture says either. Oh, in, by the end of time, God will take care of all that. But now in our lives... God says, I'm going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. But the enemies are there. He doesn't always remove our enemies. He sets the tables in spite, the table in spite of the enemies. It says in John 16, Jesus is speaking and he says, in this world, you will have trouble. He says, you will have trouble. It's there, but take heart. I have overcome the world, but it's going to be there. And I know we sometimes wish that he would just kind of blast our enemies out of here. God, just waste them. <laughs> you know, get rid of it. All the enemies, just take care of them. But God has a purpose and a plan. See, the enemies are sometimes used to um, strengthen us as we learn how to, to fight in a positive way and resist. And, and, it, and they're used sometimes to bring greater glory to God in his time as he ultimately will win complete victory. So let's just pause for a second. We're going to look at it in a few minutes a little deeper, but I would just say for any enemies in your life, again, we're going to talk, but I wanted to pose the question now so you can start thinking about it. What would you consider to be enemies in your life?
Well, he prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies, and then it says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, before entering the banquet hall, the host, if he could, if he was wealthy enough and if he was on top of his game, in a sense, would anoint the honored heads, the honored guests' head with oil. So, so this extravagance was made really by um, adding really the nicest perfumes to the finest olive oil that they had. He'd get this finest olive oil, and then he would add the, the finest perfumes that he could afford to make this wonderful, rich substance that would... Ah, smell just wonderful. And, and so the, the, the head of the honored guest or guest would be anointed. It was fragrant and it was long-lasting. And uh, so the guest could kind of relax and be treated to a wonderful sensory experience. You show up, maybe it had been a busy day. Who knows you know, what your life's been like. But as you come in, here's this moment of, I love you, I want to honor you, and this would happen. It was really an ah experience, kind of the ah. Think hot showers and warm, fluffy towels and robes, right? Kind of things that make us feel clean and comfortable and, and special. And that's what God's doing. God makes this possible. See, it demonstrates the affluence of the host, it, it, that he has the means to do all this, and it also demonstrates the affection of the host, that he wants to do that. He honors the guest in this way. He wants to honor you in this way. You see, here's the deal. When God, the host, looks at you, specifically you, and he looks you in the eye, um, you're not going to hear, oh, boy, who is this? How did this person get on the guest list, <laughs> right? You know, oh, boy, the ashamed one, the imperfect one. I don't want to waste the good oil on this one, on this chump, you know. He's just lucky to sneak in the back door to this feast. I think that's sometimes what we kind of feel, like, boy, I just scraped in. <laughs> I'm glad God allowed it. That's not what goes on. That's not here. He graciously treats you as his special child, his honored guest. You matter that much to him. That moment to push everyone else aside and say, God's going to anoint you. Yeah, I'm going to get to her too, but right now I'm going to anoint you because I love you. And I want to honor you in that way. And then the same thing to you and the same thing to you. The anointing oil, it honors, it soothes, it heals, it, it serves the anointing oil, in a sense, from God, it serves to release you from the baggage of the daily grind, from the guilt and shame we insist on carrying with us, even though Jesus has already set us free from all of that. Jesus has set us free, but boy, we want to continue sometimes to carry around some of the guilt and some of the shame that drags us. And God says, I want to release you from that. I want to honor you. I want to give you just a fragrance, and I want to give you this anointing. And uh, God does all of this as we submit to Jesus as we, as we come to him as our shepherd, as our gracious host, he gives us the Holy Spirit's anointing and continued presence to soothe and to heal us in special ways. Well, the third thing, it says, my cup overflows. And this one um, makes some interesting sense from the host and the, the honored guest analogy. Here, here's something fun. In the ancient East, a host often used the status of the cup to send a message to the guests. As long as the cup was refilled and kept full throughout the evening, the guest knew he was welcome. But when the cup sat empty, you know, and he finally drank and drank, and then the service and what servants, whatever, wasn't coming around, it was kind of a cue to like, 
It's about time to think about heading home. We're about wrapping up here. Whether or not something awkward had happened or it was just was getting late. And so the cup, as, as, this, as this feast and this time together happened, the cup was really symbolic of, of welcome and of, and of timing and all of those sorts of things. And so um, if the host really, though, was enjoying the company of the guests, he might actually literally fill the cup to overflowing to demonstrate to the guests how much he was welcomed and appreciated. This was a case of, man, you're going to stay as long as you want. Keep that going. Keep that full to overflowing, literally to overflow it as a symbol of how much they're appreciated. We are that loved by the great host. Isn't that amazing? Again, God is not going, finish your cup and move on, pal. I got some other things to do with my time, some more important people to deal with. He's not doing that. So the cup here can be seen as our lot in life. What is our cup? If we, we thought of it that way, it's because this is kind of my life, my lot in life. It's, and, and it's a place to hold God's goodness and blessings. And it doesn't matter how big our cup is, God, God's blessings overflow it. And they do that and they do that. And it doesn't matter how big it keeps coming and coming and coming. Not because, not because we deserve it. Remember I mentioned that. But because he wants to and because he loves us. And so what does that mean to me? So many amazing things. You see, this overflowing cup obviously signifies abundance. God has an abundance to give, and he loves us enough that he keeps it coming. I started thinking about that. Have you ever been to a restaurant when you're really thirsty and, you know, they bring the water? Hopefully it's ice water, right? You know, some ice water. Or maybe you have an iced tea or something. And you just, oh, you finish that off, and, like, you're thirsty, and you're just looking for the waiter or waitress, and they're nowhere to be seen. Water. Water. You know, and they're like cup on your head you know what is it that does the trick to because i really want horrible experience isn't it you're like i just want to leave i just want something to drink here and i can't find can't find anybody or anything that isn't god that isn't god constantly they're overflowing the second the sip happens let me overflow that again for you let me overflow that again for you let me overflow i haven't even that's okay keeping it coming our hearts are not large enough to contain the blessings that God wants to give us. The last thing we need to worry about is not having enough. Do you ever worry about not having enough? The God of the universe is filling our cups to overflowing. It means that I have more than my cup can ever hold, so, so much so that I can be as generous as the Lord is without fear of ever running out. You know, if you think about that, if my cup's overflowing constantly, couldn't I afford to occasionally put some in your cup and some in your cup and your cup? Well, I can't share too much. What if I run out? What if you what? Overflowing from the host? I can actually, without fear, give. You see, we talk about sharing my cup. Can that be some giving of some time and some energy, even of some resources? I mean, using wisdom and stuff. Can I actually share some of what God has, has done with me without worry about worrying about, am I going to have enough? And an, another thought. If focusing on what we don't have leads to, en leads to envy and jealousy, and it does, doesn't it? It's so easy to look at what you don't have. and oh, I wish I had, I wish I had. Is it just possible that awareness of, of, our, of our abundance will lead to contentment? When we can stop and take a look at what God does for us, it's a perspective thing. Is that going to lead to contentment? I think so. I like that. And I need more of that in my life. The focus not on what I wish I had or what I don't have, but a focus on what the abundance is that God is giving me changes my perspective. So our cup overflows with God's forgiveness. It, it overflows with his love, with his grace, with his mercy, his attention to us. It overflows with hope. 
Release from guilt, release from shame in Jesus. It says in Philippians 4.19, I think this one made it into your outline and on the screens, and my God, my God will, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So many positive words in that, and it goes right along with what we're seeing here in Psalm 23, Old Testament, New Testament, they work together. What? It's God. It's God saying, this is what's true, this is what's real. God's supplying everything, and he has the riches to do it. So I want to move to that third little section here, kind of a little overview to, of the one verse to make sure we, we took the time to allow God to speak to each one of us today right where we're at. Maybe the sheep and shepherd things kind of, oh, I kind of like that. Maybe the host and the honored guest, oh, I kind of like that. And okay, wait a second. Let's just stop and say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You love me that much, and, and you anoint my head with oil, and, and then you just keep the blessings coming. My cup overflows. Even though I'm as dumb as a sheep, <laughs> is there really a dog on my back? <laughs> I'm treated as God's honored guest, as if I was the most special person in the world. And so are you. In the presence of God, the fragrance of his rewards and love and the abundance of his provision, it makes me forget my troubles, my fear, and my shame. And I want to take a moment, because I said I would a few minutes ago, I want to talk about my enemies. And I think there's a space on your outline there. I'd, yeah, I, I know, we'd rather not face them, but I left some space there. And here's my encouragement. To write down some things that you might consider to be your enemies. Right there. Other specific people, maybe, and you can write initials if it's a name, if it comes to that way, but maybe it's groups of people or types of people or situations, but perhaps it could be something else. It could be circumstances, external pressures that come upon us that would, could be considered an, enemies, an enemy. I think many of us also not only need to look around us from the outside what the enemies are, but we could look inside to see some of our biggest enemies, the things that drive us into sin. It's our addictions, our deceptions, our selfishness, our pride, so many things. And all these things can easily take root in us as guilt and as shame and become an enemy themselves. We may feel a profound sense of shame, and that shame, if we can focus on that for a moment, remember I mentioned it several times earlier, it's an enemy that works to destroy every area of our life 24-7. It, it works to make us think that God wouldn't want us at his banquet that he wouldn't want to be our shepherd, that he wouldn't want to be our host, or if he does it, he's going to do it grudgingly because this cloud of shame hang, hangs over us, and God couldn't want that for me. But that's not what the Bible says, and, and that's not what I've found to be true in my own personal experience. God anoints my head with oil. He provides protection, refreshment, peace, honor, and, and it's God providing healing. You see, God will set me free when I feel captive to shame. He'll set me free from any bondage in my life as I allow him to. And then my cup overflows. My cup overflows. God says, I'm going to keep it coming. Oh, don't leave. Don't doubt how much I love you. Don't think the time is running short and I'm saying go home. I'm just going to keep it coming. It's, it's proof. It's evidence of, of what I have to give you and how much I love you. I'll pour out my favor on your life, God says. I'll fill you with abundance, limitless, overflowing joy. Joy. So here's a beautiful thought. I can always count on my good shepherd to, to provide what I need when I need it. I can 
always count on my good shepherd to provide what I need when I need it. And he knows best, way better than the sheep does, huh? I gave you one fill in the blank. It's right now as we close. My victory, and it's only found in Jesus, living above shame, living above shame, living above bondage, living above the traps of life, dwelling in the goodness of God. That's my victory, dwelling in the goodness of God, not because, again, that I deserve it, because he loves me that much and he loves you that much. Let's pray together. God, I'm so grateful that you think that highly of me. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> That's the shame, God. That's the shame part. I wish that each one of us, God, could see ourselves the way you see us. I think when we look at ourselves, I know it's true for me, I see the dirt and I see the baggage and I see the imperfections and I see the shortcomings and I see the weakness and I see and I see and I see. And it's not pretty. And yet, you, God, you see your child forgiven, made perfect in Jesus as I've received you. You see a, a trusting sheep that you love beyond belief. God, thank you for that. God, I pray for each one of us that we'd understand that, that we could embrace that today and walk in victory today as we leave, even leave our church gathering together to understand this, this overflowing blessing that you give us of joy and of peace and of love that is beyond what we can understand so that we can actually walk in a new way ourselves and then be different towards other people because as you overflow your blessings to us, we can pass that on, God, without fear of running short. Lord Jesus, bring to us what we need. In Jesus' name, amen.